0: going to have Hope we'll Travel. When we travel, we get to know people who are different than we are. We hear different perspectives and we better understand others' stories. We learn to stand with people more than having opinions on issues. Be sure to hit subscribe so you can catch the new episode every other Monday. I'm your host, Katie Axelson. February is American Heart Month and this week we're recognizing it with author Lori Ann Wood. Lori Ann is the author of Divine Detour, The Path You'd Never Choose Can Lead to the Faith You've Always Wanted And when you can't talk to God, five prayers and promises you can lean on. She's also a heart failure survivor. Lorianne, welcome to the show. Thank you, Katie. It's so such a blessing for me to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to hear a little bit more of your story. I know we've chatted a little bit, but I would love to hear your story from your perspective on what brought us to this place. Well, first
1: of all, I think this podcast and the theme that you have going on is perfect because it... I felt like I was on a journey. I think we all do mm-hmm. that we're on this journey. And then at some point we realize, "Wait, I'm not on the road I had planned to be on or wanted to be on." Yeah. And I call that a detour, and you, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk more about that later, but for sure. Detours everyone faces them, and mine started oh, it's been a little bit over 7 years ago. I had a medical evaluation for a life insurance policy, and they told me that I had less than 3% chance of ever developing heart disease Wow! because I had such good numbers. My blood mm-hmm. pressure was great. I had low cholesterol mm-hmm. all the things. I had no lifestyle risk factors. I had no family history. And despite all of that, Three weeks after I was told that I had less than 3% chance, I found myself in end stage heart failure from an unknown cause. Wow. Wow. That's my it was a, it it really was. It you know, it it was something that I if I had listed all the things that I was concerned about health-wise, mm-hmm. heart disease would have been at the very bottom. Sure. And in fact, the week that I went to my doctor, uh, my, it was Thanksgiving week. And so I went to convenient care,
0: mm-hmm. uh, like
1: we tend to do. And yeah. they looked at it, um, gave me an inhaler. I went home. I wasn't getting any better. Three days later, I went back to convenient care. Cause it was the day before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I got an antibiotic. I didn't do anything. And then the day after Thanksgiving, I went to see my family doctor. Hmm. And in in my mind, I'm thinking, this is probably the flu, a really bad case of the flu. Sure. It, it could be pneumonia. I hadn't had pneumonia before, so I didn't know what that felt like. And I ended up being direct admitted to cardiac ICU wow. that day. Um, my wow. doctor took an x-ray, a chest x-ray, mm-hmm. and as we were going into the x-ray lab, he said, if we're lucky, this is pneumonia. Mm.
0: And I remember thinking,
1: that didn't sound very lucky to me. Yeah. (laughs) So it was, it came out of the blue in some ways. In other ways, it was something I probably should have seen coming, but I spent 14 days in cardiac ICU. And my enlarged heart was functioning at the point when I was admitted at just 6%. Wow. And it was, I did not have a good prognosis. Mm -hmm. Um, Later, the doctors told me, they don't tell you this at the beginning because they don't want to scare you, I think, which is a blessing, but they didn't really expect me to leave the hospital. Mm. And I was just at a point where they really couldn't do anything. And I was flown to the Cleveland Clinic Mm -hmm. and the Cleveland Clinic as a lot of people know, is the top heart hospital in the nation, if wow. not the world. Yeah. And and I immediately became the patient of the head of transplant in the cardiology department there. Mm-hmm. She was uh, my doctor and she still is my doctor. And I she's now told me that my that I was her most critical patient for the first year and a half that she treated wow. me and that my heart was the largest heart she had ever seen, mm. which was just something because I didn't really feel that bad. I have to For be sure. honest with you. I, I did not feel like I was in that bad of shape. Yeah. But I, I ended up wearing, they gave me an external defibrillator. It's a, called a life okay. vest and it's that you wear on your chest. And then there's a camera like, camera looking device that you wear around your neck mm-hmm. and I wore that for 9 months okay and they put me on some really high powered medication yep and then um eventually I just wasn't getting any better mm-hmm. so they I have now implanted an internal defibrillator and pacemaker that's yeah. designed for heart failure and I spent 16 months from the day that I was diagnosed until I ever got any improvement, just sort of in this silent period and and Mm -hmm. and kind of in limbo. I the people were praying for me around the clock, but I wasn't getting any better. Mm. And the the funny thing is, 16 months to the day from when I was first diagnosed. I came down with appendicitis and mm. I was like, oh no, not this now. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and no nobody would do the surgery because my heart was so weak and so they took another um echocardiogram to see where my heart was in function yeah. and my heart function was normal. Wow. And it can't, it was not expected. It came out of nowhere. And yeah. I thought that was the end of my story. Sure. I thought, oh, I went on this little detour. I'm yep. back on the main road now. Yeah. Um, mine is a story of divine healing and answered mm-hmm. prayer. And I get it.
0: Yeah.
1: And then three years ago, my heart function dropped and I was in active heart failure again.
0: Mm.
1: So you're a two time so- heart failure survivor. <laughs> It's, I'm learning a little bit more about heart failure, the longer Mm -hmm. I have it. Um, It's really a chronic progressive disease. Okay. Okay. So a lot of people deal with chronic illness in different forms. And for the heart failure that I have, medical science can manage the symptoms um, using things like medication and devices Mm -hmm. like I have and lifestyle changes. So for most people, the symptoms can be managed in a way that they can continue to function at a pretty high level or at some level. But And for some people, they can slow down the progression, but ultimately it only goes in one direction. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm learning is as you're on that downward, uh, if you think of a line graph and you're on that downward slope, as you go along that, you can have some spikes that go up but mm-hmm. in general, the, the direction is still down. And so okay. that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Wow. How has this affected your faith? This has been uh, a very, I would say, challenging period of time for me. But it's also been the period of greatest growth that I've had in my faith. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been, I, you know, I've believed in God as... <laughs> As long as I can remember, I grew yeah. up in a home where uh, I knew about God and I was, we went to church and my family was all, we're all believers, but I didn't really grasp hold of a need for him until this mm-hmm. happened. And I found it, I found a lot of questions in it sure. because I just ran up against some things that I couldn't reconcile with what I thought I knew. Mm-hmm. So what did you do with those questions? Well, I it's funny because I'm sort of an unlikely writer. I was not mm-hmm. trained to be a writer. I wasn't. I I have a master's degree in tax. Sure. So <laughs> I am not uh, trained in this, but I I always kind of knew that there was this tug at me to write, mm-hmm. but I was always busy with doing the everyday things that I needed to do, and I never sure. I never took listen to it yeah but i when we were in the throes of this early on my husband urged me to keep a journal and mm. i resisted very yeah. strongly from that because i didn't want to relive it sure i kind of wanted it to go away mm. yeah and i i remember my friend dropping off a journal at my hospital room and she probably meant for me to be writing you know, who do I need to write thank you notes to, or what are some of the things I need to remember um, to do once I get home? It was really for lists, but I started writing in there. And at first it was just really angsty, almost mean things to God and to the way things were going. And eventually I started keeping this journal on a regular basis. And it, it kind of felt good to just get it out. I really never expected to read it again. I never mm-hmm. expected to open it again.
0: Yeah.
1: And I started to blog and I found that for a lot of people, the stories that I was telling, although they weren't on the same exact journey I was on, mm-hmm. they were on sort of a parallel journey in their own mm, life. Interesting. You know, being disappointed with God, Yeah. being disappointed with their life. And so then I started writing articles and then I started working on this book that's coming out. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: this, the funny thing is that once I was writing, I, I, I stood back and looked at what all that I had written over these maybe four years that, since I'd started and everything I was writing was falling into these three buckets. Yeah. Interestingly. And Interesting. so what I, yeah, it was very, um, It wasn't something when I started writing, I thought I'm going to write one of these three things. But when I looked at them and I put them all on sticky notes and covered a wall in my house with them and moved them around and thought there's really just three questions I'm asking. It looks like I'm asking a million questions, but Mm. I'm really just asking three. And what were those three questions? They were strangely parallel to the questions, you know, we talk about when Jesus went into the desert, Mm -hmm. right before he started his public ministry, that Mm -hmm. he had three temptations. Yeah. And that's what, that's what we call them. But if you think about what a temptation is, it's really something that you're questioning in your mind. When you face a temptation, you're saying, is this worth it? Mm -hmm. Should I do this? Is that a better plan? Is that a better way? Mm -hmm. And so That's what I was doing. I was wrestling with the same three questions that Jesus faced when he was in the desert. And in Matthew four is one of the accounts. And the first question or the first temptation that Jesus faces, he is the enemy says, tell these stones to become bread. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a very hungry Jesus had to weigh whether his immediate physical needs Mm-hmm. And his survival were the most important things to him at that point. Oh, sure. And I think when we're on a detour and, you know, we think about getting detoured into a desert or any place we don't want to be, mm-hmm. one of the first questions we start to ask is, is our immediate concern, should that be the ultimate concern for my Ooh, day? Yeah. Is is what I have to do today, the most important thing, or should I have a longer term vision? And so that first question, I I called the question of worry. And the the question of worry is, is this life all there is?
0: Mm.
1: Because, you know, if this life is all there is, then just go ahead and eat that bread, live for the moment, worry about yourself. And that was something that I wrestled with in multiple times again and again and again. Hmm. Uh, I wanted to know if there was something more important that I could do because I I knew that this was a life-limiting illness. And hmm. should I be doing something better with my time than putting out all these daily fires? I still had kids at home. Uh, life was still relatively normal outside of what was going on with my health. And I just wanted to know And I, and I asked questions of, you know, questions about loss and uncertainty and fear and regret. And that was the first question that I found that people ask when they get on this detour in life. Mm
0: -hmm. So the first one is about worry. What's the second Mm -hmm. one?
1: The second one was when, just like when Jesus was in the desert, he was tempted a second time and there the enemy said, basically he said, throw yourself down and the angels will protect you. So in other words, just go ahead and jump. And I bet you won't get hurt. They, mm-hmm. The angels won't let your head strike against a stone. And what Jesus had to be hearing, and I think what we hear, is that you're God's favorite. Mm-hmm. God loves you. He would not let you suffer like that. So we run up to this question of doubt, And that question of doubt is, is God always good? Sure. If he loves me, why isn't he keeping me from harm and pain and disappointment? And so I wrestled with things like his protection, vulnerability, idols, Mm -hmm. resilience. And I think that's pretty common for people who find themselves on this path that they don't want to be on. Mm -hmm. They, a a really common question is, does my current pain that I'm feeling somehow indicate God's level of care for me? Mm -hmm. And, and does this God, I, I, you know, for me, especially following God all my life, I was like having to re-examine this, does this God that I've loved all my life really love me? And if he does, why doesn't it feel like love?
0: Yeah. That's hard. And those are real questions. Yes. And, and it was,
1: it, it was hard to scratch that all back because you almost feel like you are being disloyal to God when you're doing that or weak or, and, you know, I, I wanted to think I've, you know, I've believed in God for all these decades. I should be so strong and asking those questions felt weak at the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Have you moved forward from the point where they felt weak or do they still feel weak? You know, I have really learned a lot about questions and questioning because one of the things that happened was that 16 month period of silence was Mm. something that was very hard to deal with. And I think we pull back from God when we feel like he's pulling back from us. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. I, you know, I gave him, (laughs) like I said, I think I mentioned that I was equating God's goodness with how well my life was going at the time and how closely my life aligned with my plan. Sure. And that was kind of a sad realization for me. And I had this sort of faith crisis in there where I was like, I just, I don't know anymore. Mm -hmm. I feel like I got maybe sold a bill of goods and I don't understand why all this is happening. And Mm -hmm. so- those questions that i started writing in my journal i didn't realize that they were going to get me to the place that i am now and those questions really propped up my faith and really gave my faith room to breathe mm. and i think it it wouldn't have been as strong as it is now if i hadn't had that opportunity
0: yeah I think that's so real. I think that life goes sideways in whatever capacity that looks like. And we think, oh, I must not have heard God. I must be out of his will. I must have been away from his plan. I must have been disobedient. Um, I wish there's an Old Testament uh, policy, Old Testament theory that (laughs) obedience equals blessing and disobedience equals cursing. And I so wish that was true sometimes. Like if I'm obedient, Mm -hmm. I should be blessed, right? Wouldn't that be so delightful? But alas, it is not reality. That's
1: right. Yes. And it's, it's kind of hard to unlearn because we're conditioned that way a little bit. And, you know, as human beings, that good things happen when we do good and bad things happen when we don't. And certainly we can mitigate um, unfavorable consequences by choices, but we can't mitigate everything because this world is just not the way it's
0: supposed to be. Yeah. No, that's so true. So the first two questions were about worry. The second one about doubt. What's the third one?
1: The third one was back to the story of Jesus in the desert. Satan said, if you'll bow down to me, everything that you see will be yours. And what Jesus had to be thinking through that temptation is, is there a better plan? Is -hmm. this plan? Because he fully knew then what was ahead of him. And he had, he had to be thinking, maybe there's a better plan. Maybe there's a better way. Maybe this guy has a point Mm -hmm. and maybe this one was the most difficult for me. And it was the question of control. Mm. And the question ultimately of control is, is God's plan enough? Sure. Can I leave it at that? Yeah. And I think we wrestle with things like disappointment and waiting waiting a long time sometimes and failure, our own human failure and, and just flat out trust. And we, we get to that point of control because we feel like we're on a dead end detour. We were going along fine. We got off on this road. looks like it's going nowhere. I was trusting you God. And now you've sort of got me off the path and maybe I was wrong. Maybe I'm reading the wrong GPS. I don't know, but this isn't looking looking like what I thought it would. And there has to be that leap in there where you say, I know it doesn't look like what I thought it would, but I'm still going to trust the one who sees the entire picture. And Mm -hmm. that's where I had to get to from that question. Yeah.
0: That's such a hard thing to get to, to, to because the questions become, okay, is God's plan enough? And even deeper, is God enough? And recognizing that, Mm -hmm. of course, you and I as Christians believe the answer to that is yes, but the reality of that in our lives, sometimes it feels like a no. And so being able to resurrender to the Lord and offer yourself back to him and your whole life back to him um, is hard, but it's necessary and beautiful. Absolutely is. And I think a lot of people give up on
1: that when they're on a detour, because a lot of times the detour as mine was, is very silent time. Mm -hmm. And we feel like that is God leaving us. He's abandoning us. Mm -hmm. I had this all wrong, but really that's the time where he's doing the deepest work in our hearts. And that's the time when he gets our attention. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And, you know, one of the things that's really hard though, I think for me, when I was in that silent time and I wasn't hearing anything. And sometimes I still feel this way from time to time, but I felt like I didn't have the words to say to God. And when I didn't feel like I had the words, I just didn't pray. I just didn't do anything. I was clinging to the fact that I did have a prayer chain going on 24 hours a day and hoping that was enough because I couldn't find the words. Mm -hmm. And, what I didn't realize is that it's okay to borrow other people's words. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And and it could be, you know, the prayer chain that I had. It could also be the Psalms,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Lamentations. So many times in the Bible, people are expressing maybe what you're feeling. Yeah. How long? Why? Where are you?
0: Yeah.
1: And it's right there for us to use and also just reading other people's work. Mm. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it just felt too, the wound was too fresh for me to go directly into the Bible and try to find something. It felt like it was something I wasn't ready for. But I think if we can bridge that gap with other people's words, Mm. we can get back to that. you're, You're in a situation at that point on your detour where you're in survival mode for your faith. And if you can grasp a lifeline through other people's words, that's an absolute easy call to take that. And that's one of the things that I learned about being in that time. Another thing I learned in that silent time that I was really reluctant to do was to lament. Mm. And I hadn't ever done that in prayer. Mm -hmm. I, I had had in my mind whether i meant to or not this standard formula i guess but there are so many advantages and faith uh strengths to to gain from lamenting and i don't think we do that enough because it it does feel like we're being disloyal a little bit it feels kind of messy mm-hmm. but when we lament we're saying I, this, this doesn't feel right. you you kind of have a foot in both worlds. You're saying, I believe in you, but I'm questioning. I trust Mm -hmm. you, but I'm in pain. Yeah. And those times are when you can lament, you're still holding on to your Mm -hmm. faith. You're still communicating with God. And he does not shy away from that. And I, I can't remember who said it. I remember, um, reading during that time that lament may be the most theologically sound thing we do in faith
0: is because
1: we're, and if you think about it, when you lament, you're saying, first of all, you're saying, I believe you exist. Mm. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be praying to you if I didn't know you exist. Yeah. Number one, number two, you're saying, I believe you're powerful. Mm Mm-hmm. I believe you can affect a different result. I I believe you could change the situation or I wouldn't even be asking. Yeah. And then number three, when you're lamenting, you're saying, I believe that you love me. Yeah. Or I wouldn't be complaining to you. I wouldn't be bringing this up. I wouldn't be coming to you. Mm -hmm. And so if that's all we ever get out during those hard times that, you know, you believe God exists, you believe is powerful and you believe he loves you. That's a win. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we have to just learn to lean into those laments like that that journal that I was keeping. It was was not pretty poetry or anything like that that you'd want to see again, but in a form, it was lamenting.
0: Sure. I think sometimes we feel like everything has to be beautiful because we love Jesus and our positive attitude has to um, prevail over everything else. And we forget that lamenting is also scriptural. I mean, there's a whole book on it, right? Or like you (laughs) mentioned the Psalms. I mean, David had some brutal words for the Lord. Um, Usually the Psalms, the lament Psalms end with words of praise again. But I will say personally, sometimes I can't get back to those words of praise. Sometimes I just hang out in the lament portion of the Psalm. And sometimes that's where I need to sit. And I felt bad about this at one point until um, one of my pastors said to me, you know, Katie, God's a big boy. He can handle it. And I was like, "Hmm, you're right. He's a big boy. He can handle my lament and my anger. And I don't have to force myself to get back to the praise today because I know that my life will get back to the praise at some other point. Right. And that
1: brings up another point While you were talking. I was thinking about, you know, God is a God that doesn't want the conversation to end. That's his biggest concern because, Mm -hmm. you know, the opposite of faith isn't doubt or questioning the opposite of faith is just indifference, just walking away. And so even in those times when, you know, we feel kind of uh, disloyal or we feel like we're not being a good Christian by asking these questions, God's ear is still bent toward us and he still Mm -hmm. is longing to hear from us.
0: Yeah,
1: And that is what will keep your faith going in those times. So I really think that questions are something, you know, when you find yourself on a detour like this, we're going to have the questions. And if we just bury them and hide Mm -hmm. them and we don't contend with God about them and we don't poke and prod and wrestle and question him, we're just going to walk away. And it's just going to become a silent forever silent relationship. And we're just going to move on. Mm -hmm. So when those hard times happen, if you can lean into the questions and you can lean in to the hard
0: conversations with God, that's when you grow. Yeah, that's good. So we talked about leaning on the words of others, leaning on the words of scripture, still trying to encounter God. What other recommendations do you have for when people feel like they can't talk to God? Well, I think some of the best things that I did
1: when I was in that silent period is I wrote down some statements that just what I was feeling as if it was someone sitting across from me and we were having coffee or on a phone call with a friend. And I just said, this is how I'm feeling. This is my honest feelings. And the the statements I wrote down were, I feel abandoned Mm, by you. Yeah. I feel like I'm out here all alone. And then I also wrote down, I don't know why I'm having to go through this. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the reason is. And then I said, I can't see the end of this journey. I can't see how this will end in a good way. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I couldn't even see the next step in the journey. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then the fourth one I wrote down was, I feel stuck in this holding pattern. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm ever going to get out. Yeah. And then the last one was, I'm not sure I can still trust you. Mm. And by writing those down, I was able to, it it felt like I was being completely honest with God. This is what I'm feeling. And from there, I was able to find the promises in scripture that address those specific things Mm -hmm. that I was feeling. And from there, I was able to take the scripture and be able to make a prayer. And I wrote it out for each one of those five statements. I wrote out the prayer that I felt like I needed to say to God based on the scripture and based on how I was feeling. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I would pray those over and over and over again, the same exact prayer. And that's why, and I have a resource on my website that lists all of those five statements that I just made and the prayers and the scriptural promise, because I think it it may not be the exact same statements that someone else is feeling, but I think it gives a pattern for how you can take what feels like almost ugly words to God and turn them back into his promises Mm. and turn them back
0: into communication with him. Yeah, that's so good. Tell us about the book. What prompted you to write it? Yeah, what prompted you to write it and what's it about? Yeah, so my book is
1: it's not primarily about my medical events, but it's based on that and that's what prompted it. It's primarily about these three questions that we talked about. Sure. And it is a book of essays. It's 40 essays because one of the things I, another thing I noticed throughout there is that 40 was a recurring theme in the Bible and Jesus was in the desert for 40 days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there that's really God's environment for change in scripture is, is 40. It's, it's a challenging time, but it's an environment for change. And so there's 40 essays where I look at those three life questions, a question of doubt, a question of worry, and a question of control. Mm -hmm. And then I hope to steer the reader into handling those questions on their own and Mm -hmm. being able to ask the questions Mm -hmm. and seeing how I address them throughout those essays. Where can we find the book? The book is available at com slash books. There'll be links there to select where you'd like to purchase that from. And there's... Also some other um, companion products coming out, but the the paperback and the hardback
0: are available there. Awesome. And the book is in pre-order right now. So I know that there are a whole bunch of pre-order fun deals and stuff for us to be able to take advantage of right now too.
1: Yes, yes. So anyone that pre-orders will have access to a lot of really great, um, useful information. There'll be some downloads. There'll be some special gifts that you'll get. And I think everyone will be excited about that. It'll be something that is um, helpful, I think, for people that are on a journey or for people who are on a detour and those people that are trying to come alongside people who are on a detour.
0: Yeah. Oh, for sure. So coming alongside people on a detour is a whole different facet that we haven't talked Mm -hmm. about yet. Um, One of the things that we like to ask here at Have Hope Will Travel, because we like to hear people's stories and people's perspectives that are different than ours, we love to know what is supportive and what is not supportive, um, especially when we think about heart failure. Right. Heart failure, and I think
1: a lot of things fall into this category, is that if someone um, from the outside is trying to come along, another person that has heart failure or pretty much any kind of heart disease is that it's largely an invisible illness.
0: Mm.
1: People can look really normal and not be sure. And I remember checking into the hospital and my heart function was 6%. And I've had several people tell me since then, that's impossible. You can't be alive when your heart's at 6%. It was bad. Mm -hmm. And I, I looked normal. I walked in there. I got dressed that morning and I walked in there.
0: Yeah.
1: So we just kind of need to give people a benefit of the doubt when we don't know what that invisible struggle is. And it might not even be physical Mm -hmm. because people can spend their life trying to justify this illness that they have. And that's a sad place to be, to have to justify to someone that, no, really I am. I do have this this illness, yeah. And one of the things that helped me was uh, when I realized that people with invisible illness are not pretending to be ill; mm-hmm. they're actually pretending to be well. Wow. Yeah. And and that changes your whole outlook on what's happening with that other person. When you think, wow, they're carrying a heavy burden because they are functioning in a world that is pretty much a well, healthy world and they're having to live in it. Yeah. And so we need to give people the benefit of the doubt in time, in times like that. And that's something that was a, a learning point for me too.
0: Yeah. Oh, I bet. I like that mindset shift too, from they're not pretending to be ill, they're pretending to be well. Because yes. you just look at life a little bit differently when you realize mm-hmm. that they look well and they're trying really hard to look well. Mm-hmm. Yes. and And it's so heart disease
1: itself is just so widespread. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I been, have been trained at Bayo to be a community educator for women heart, which is a yeah. national organization supporting women with heart disease. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things I learned, and I like had to go back to my hotel room and, uh, and Google it to make sure it was right. But They told us that heart disease kills more people, men and women, than all forms of cancer combined. Wow. it Didn't seem possible to me. Sure. Because there's a lot of information out there and so much good um, awareness about so many different forms of cancer. And I think a lot of times we think of heart disease as something that is only for people who don't take care of themselves or are born with a certain uh, defect in their heart. And one of the things that I learned in dealing with it when it came from nowhere for mm-hmm. me is that the only self-exam for heart disease is awareness. Mm-hmm. We can't do any other self-exam, but being aware and that's so important because the an earlier diagnosis has a much better outcome. And so that is something we just need to be aware of and just know your body, know what the early warning signs are, and just act on those.
0: Sure. So as people listening, as it turns out, we all have hearts. Um, what do you wish everyone knew about heart health? Yes.
1: I wish everyone knew that. What I did was a bad idea, which was (laughs) to make excuses for a lot of things that I, I, I I told you earlier that heart failure, heart failure sort of snuck up on me. And in a sense, it did the severity of it, but I had subtle warning signs looking back now for maybe 10 years. And those were things that my family would bring up to me, my children, my husband and say, you know, mom. That doesn't seem quite right. Maybe you should go check that out. And I didn't mm. because I was ignoring it. I was kind of uh covering it up and making excuses, being a little bit stubborn. Yeah. And I have some regret about that because they were things like an inability to exercise. Mm. And I just excused it as I'm out of shape. Uh, my husband runs marathons, my kids play high school sports, I'm the odd man out. Sure. So that's that's what's going on. I had an extreme difficulty with inclines, stairs, any kind of uh, incline walking was mm-hmm. extremely hard. And I was exposed to a lot of secondhand smoke as a child, so I just told everyone that it was that's what it was. Sure. Without getting it checked out. Yeah. Shortness of breath. I didn't even really know what that was at the mm-hmm. time, but I had that yeah. weight gain, which is which I found out later was really just water retention. I, when I went to the doctor that first week, I stepped on the scale because they always weigh you no matter what you go to the doctor for. And I had been sick for a week. I'd missed Thanksgiving dinner and I had gained weight and I was really put out. About yeah, that, it. Sure. But when I was in the hospital, they drained 14 pounds of fluid. Wow. From me. So, weight gain, you know, and again, I'm thinking middle age, I'm, I'm getting older. I'm putting on weight, a rapid heart rate. I had that all my life fatigue. And maybe the saddest one I had was constant cough is also a subtle symptom, especially for women of heart failure. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm thinking secondhand smoke. I don't know what it is. Something with my lungs. And I mentioned these to my children because we didn't know, and we still don't know for sure if there might have been something hereditary about this. They're still doing a lot of testing and a lot of studies on this. But I said, in case it is hereditary, in case there's something that I've passed down to you, be aware of these symptoms. Yeah. And I got to the last one, which was constant cough. And I said, that seems so weird. I didn't, I don't think I was doing that. And my kids said, mom, when we would lose you in a store, that's how we found you because we could hear your cough. And I Mm -hmm. had done it for years without, without really paying any attention to it. So that awareness and just having that on the forefront of your mind and, Mm -hmm. and just ask about it. I mean, best case scenario, the doctor says
0: you're a hypochondriac, you're fine. Yeah. So I had a situation like that where I didn't really think it was a concern, but I brought it up to my doctor and was like, do I really need to be concerned about this? And she gave me an honest answer of no, but if you have these symptoms, yes. And I didn't thankfully have any of those symptoms, but it actually brought me a lot of peace of mind to be like, okay, my doctor is not worried about this. I'm not worried about this. This is what I'll watch for to know if I need to become worried.
1: Yes. I think so much, there's so much good information out there and there, it's so easy now after the pandemic with, to just type out a question, send it to your doctor. It's not like Mm -hmm. you have to stop and go in and visit your doctor so much more accessible that Mm -hmm. I hope that people will take advantage of that, no matter in what type of, you know, health concern they have to just ask their doctor about it and, and keep that communication line open. Yeah, for sure.
0: So can you tell us a little bit more about detours of life and suggestions on how to handle those?
1: Yes.
0: So the
1: detours, which is really the basis of my book, I found out as as I'm writing this, that not only are the stories that I'm using in the essays really a form of everyone's story, which was really surprising to me because people would reach out and say, that same thing, or a version of that happened exactly to me. And that was Mm -hmm. something only God could orchestrate, but that was done. But the other thing that was so evident is that everyone eventually ends up on a detour. It's not, it's not an if it's Mm -hmm. a win because we, especially in my life, I had, had things go pretty well. I had made some good decisions. I'd had a lot of blessing. Um, and I had not felt like I was on an extreme detour, but these type of things happen at different points in our lives. It might be, you know, loss of a child or Mm -hmm. divorce or bankruptcy or loss of a dream. Mm -hmm. And it's just gone. And that is where we start to feel like that God's abandoned us. And Mm -hmm. that's where that difficulty starts to really root into our faith, because we're on this path that we don't feel is right. We don't Mm -hmm. feel we deserved. And what we don't realize, though, is that that detour becomes the route to a deeper faith. Sure, And, you know, I at some point it hit me that what if God has something more for me than this predictable life? Mm. And, and all this time I had just been straight down this road and maybe he had something more for me. Yeah. And, and it turns out he did, because I, I mentioned that I had always, I had taught um, college classes in college business classes for about 25 years. And Doing two and four hour lectures and took a lot of energy. And after heart failure, I couldn't do that. I can't stand up that long. I can't project that long. And that was hard to accept. But what I found was I could sit and write mm. and type on my computer for hours at a time and not get tired. Yeah. And so I was given an opportunity to do this writing. That mm-hmm. I would not have taken in a safer, healthier life. Yeah. And That's and that cool. was something that has been a blessing to me. But it, again, it was a detour. It's a path that I wouldn't have chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I've already mentioned the deeper faith that I got, but what, what makes it hard is when we're on a detour and any time in life when things aren't going like we want, we want it to make sense in our lifetime. We want the story arc to be complete mm-hmm. and we want to see the result, but God never promised us a resolved life. Sure. We just, we can see the end of a lot of people's story in scripture
0: mm-hmm. that
1: they probably thought this is not how I thought yeah. this was going to go. We can think of the apostles, yeah, Stephen,
0: mm-hmm.
1: John the Baptist did their story make sense when they were in the middle of it? Did they see the finished end? Mm-hmm. No. And we can look back on it and it makes sense now how that had to be part of the story, but we were not any less important than those people in scripture. And yet we think that we should be able to see the finished end and we should be able to make sense of what's going on. But it's really like we feel like we can read one chapter of a book and understand the entire story.
0: Mm. And
1: our chapter is just part of this bigger story. This Mm -hmm. detour that we're on is part of that story that God's been writing since the beginning. And sometimes our little piece isn't resolved. And sometimes it isn't completed in our lifetime.
0: Yeah. And that's so good. There's like, so many people who had no idea i mean all of scripture right is full of people who had no idea how the story was going to play out like i think about ananias who was sent to go meet with paul back when paul was still persecuting and killing people for following jesus ananias Mm -hmm. was supposed to go like essentially what i'm sure he thought was turn himself in he had no idea that paul had met jesus on the road and had wanted to know more about jesus himself like they had no idea how that story was going to play out But I'm so glad that Ananias actually went and actually followed the Lord. And so sometimes I think about that in my own life of like, I don't know how this story is going to go out, but play out. But this is what I feel like the Lord is telling me to do. And so this is what I'm going to do. And then I get to trust the Lord with however it turns out Um, may not be blessings and cursings like we had talked about. Um, It may be a detour, but we can still say like, I was obedient. I did what the Lord asked me to do. There's going to be some beauty in this story. I probably just can't see it right now.
1: Exactly. Yes. And I I think we can look at uh, the scripture that we always go to, Romans 8, 28, and think that that means that in my lifetime, Mm. I'm going to see how all the ends are tied up and all the little bits come together. And I don't think it says that. So I (laughs) had to really relearn that. Yeah. Um that that I'm I've bought into this bigger story arc mm-hmm. and I'm trusting the author of that and I may not understand my part of the story right now. Yeah. But you know, I get back to uh in scripture where it says where else would we go? Yeah. You have the words of eternal life. Yeah. So we can either do our detour alone mm-hmm. or we can do it with the one who has the words of eternal life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. I love getting to chat with people and getting to hear their stories. And I especially love it when towards the end of the conversation, I just want to go sit and be with Jesus. And I want to learn more um, from them. Like I look forward to reading your book. Um, if other people are in that same place, where can they connect with you online?
1: Yes. My website is lauriannewood.com. loriannwoodcom slash mm-hmm. books is where you can Order the book, you can pre-order that. And if you'd like a copy of those five statements that I wrestled through in the silent time when you can't talk to God, I have a free resource, Five Prayers and Promises When You Can't Talk to God. And that is at laurieannwood.com slash
0: hope. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that.
1: Lori, would you Thank be willing?
0: Yeah. Would you be willing to pray for us? Absolutely.
1: Dear God thank you so much for what you've given us in, in this lifetime. Thank you so much for uh, the opportunities. Thank you so much for the, uh, even the detours, Lord, we, we don't want those. We don't see those coming. Uh, And we pray that they don't. And Lord, we know that you are a God of healing. Remind us of that, God, but Mm -hmm. that God of healing is not always on this side of eternity, but it's always, always in the other side. So Lord, we just ask that we are always reminded that you're not afraid of our questions, that you're a God who longs to keep the conversation going with us, and that you're a God who has good plans, and Sometimes we don't see those from the detour that we're on. And sometimes we don't see that completed plan in our lifetime, Lord, but we want to be a people that trusts you with our lives and with our eternity. And we thank you for the promise and for the avenue that you provided to us through your son. And we ask all these things in his name. Amen.
0: Amen. So Lorianne, the show is built so that we are always learning something. We're learning from someone else's perspective. We're learning from someone else's story. But I know that we are all always learning. And so I would love to learn what something you've learned in the last week or so. One of the things that I am
1: wrestling with as I continue to wrestle with this chronic illness that I Mm -hmm. have, because I recently became a grandmother and have a new grandbaby. And I had all these ideas about... At first, before I had a grandchild, it was about who the parent I wanted to be, the mm. mom I wanted to be. And I had to lay those aside sometimes. Yeah, And that's a hard thing to do. And I've had to adapt my vision for the role that I'm going to have in my granddaughter's life as well. And I think part of surviving a detour, and I've started to wrestle with this more as my granddaughter um, is approaching her her first birthday is that, you know, sometimes you just have to lay down what you had expected and what you wanted and trust that there's a better way coming. And I wrestle with that and I've had to adapt my traditions and what I wanted to do, but in adapting those, they became even more special and became Mm -hmm. even more meaningful. So you know, I talked earlier about the question of control being the hardest one for me. And I think that's true when, if you're like me and that question of control is one that's super hard, maybe faith doesn't come easy for you. It doesn't come that easy for me Mm -hmm. that It's, it's an exercise in giving it a chance, try letting go and just see what happens. It's like falling into your friend's arms, you know, in middle school when they would catch you. (laughs) Sure. Sometimes you just have to feel that to know Mm -hmm. that you're going to get caught and that it's going to be okay and that you can adapt and move on. And it doesn't have to look like what you thought it would look like.
0: Yeah. That's so good. Thank you so much for your time today, for trusting us with your story, for encouraging and for challenging us in our faith, and for inviting us to embrace the detours instead of dodging them to avoid them. Um, Thank you for leaving us one step closer to Jesus today. Thank you for having me. It's been such a fun time. As always, a big thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode with Ann. Check out episode 77, where Kelsey shares her story of finding joy in hard times and her experience with having a spinal tumor. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. It would mean a lot to me if you hit that five star and left a review as well. It's how guests know that their stories are safe here. Until next time, my friend, I hope that you are having a great week. I hope that you are enjoying life. You are seizing every moment of it. You are learning how to overcome your own hard circumstances. Know that you are blessed, know that you are loved, know that you are seen, know that you add value to the conversation, and know that your story matters. We'll see you again soon.